0: Dads on the
1: air,
0: we're here cause we care. We ask all the questions that others don't dare. We're dads, we're dads on the air. We're dads, we're dads on the air.
2: And welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this programme we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys issues and more. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and our special guest today is Jerry Georgiatis, who is the national coordinator of the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project. Jerry, who is based in Western Australia, has been described as a warrior and a social justice legend. Jerry, welcome to Dad's on the Air. Hey
1: having me Uh, thank you to be just thank you thank
2: you so Jerry uh, you and your colleague uh, Megan Cracker uh, set up the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project I think in about 2019 what was the remit of that project I've
1: been working before as a national coordinator just prior to the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project I've been working with the National Indigenous Critical Response Service a service that I helped get up off the ground at $11 million 2016 and it's a commonwealth task force in suicide postvention our first nations uh, brothers and sisters uh, have a suicide rate uh, amongst the worst in the world when we look at it from a disaggregated racialized lens one in 16 of aboriginal deaths first nations deaths is a suicide that's an abomination and one in 50 of Australian deaths which is two percent two percent of all deaths which is horrific in itself and the leading cause of death Is by suicide, so 2% of all Australians of their deaths by suicide, but for First Nations people, instead of 1 in 50, it's 1 in 16. It's got worse. So I was National Coordinator of the Responder of the uh, Suicide Postvention Service that I helped get off the ground, and uh, I did two and a half years as a National Coordinator. Uh, I did respond an awful lot. I went to uh, hundreds of uh, grieving families in their time of loss and grief uh, all over the country. And it's important to have a loss in grief service. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the tragedy of suicide does take its toll, does occur. I wanted to inroad I've spent a decade and a half researching, getting programs off the ground, critical responses, in suicide postvention and suicide prevention, and trauma recovery, in tendency stabilization, and crisis uh, stabilization, and post-crisis support. Uh, a number of projects I won't go into save time. Uh, I've raised about 70 million dollars in funding uh, over the decade prior to the launch of the National Suicide Prevention Trauma Recovery Project to set up projects uh, that would improve the life circumstance or be there in the time of most critical need, even on a 24/7 basis uh, for people, particularly those living below the poverty line, who are the most uh, affected. The rates of loss, uh, uh, suicidality, for instance, are uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 times, depending the stressor, the trigger. Uh, below the poverty line compared to those above the poverty line. So it affects everyone, but it affects those below the poverty line uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 times uh, the rate, uh, depending on the stress or or, or the multiple stressors, uh, the combination of stressors. So I wanted to inroad into suicide prevention after seeing death every day. Every day I came across a death by suicide in my time in the National Indigenous Critical Response Service, and also not just uh, First Nations deaths, but uh, those of the migrant born, uh, uh, those of uh, ordinary Australians, uh, those of fathers and mothers and children. The youngest suicide i responded to, uh, sadly, is the youngest on record. Nine years of age, which is, should be unimaginable. I wasn't able to get the funding that I was able to get for all the other projects, so it's been mostly an all-volunteer effort, the National Suicide Prevention Trauma Recovery Project, and uh, I set it up in 2019. Megan, who was at the National Indigenous Critical Response Service and previously with the Royal Commission into uh, Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, where our first met her, six months later, after I set it up, came across from the National Indigenous Critical Response Service, the Suicide Post-Vengeance Service, to join me. So it's been a three and a half year effort, mostly all volunteer. We've got a few small grants along the way, particularly in prisons and uh, to reduce suicidality. Uh, we've been working in suicide prevention, the saving of lives, and it's a turn it ter- ter- to services 24-7. Uh, it's an endowment that has has been funded. We've done a lot of incredible work that uh, I'm happy to uh, self-fund myself and actually uh, do what we've been doing as well on Ollie Reagan on a combination of small grants and, and go fund these where we can actually raise money through hardship.
2: You mentioned that there there is little funding there, and, and you and Megan both left steady jobs. I think you had health problems as well. But it was just was it just the um, the overwhelming need that um, that that got you involved like that?
1: It was the overwhelming need. It was actually uh, knowing that you know everything that we could do for a family we did do was so affected. Those who have lost someone. But uh, I wanted to create the capability to prevent. Uh, these deaths to prevent deaths of 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old children, of uh, youth, of uh, young adults, of, uh, and also fathers and mothers, and it breaks my heart that there are mothers of 5, 6, 7 children mm-hmm. who have taken their lives, it breaks my heart that there are fathers of 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 children, there's one father I remember taking his life, uh, leaving behind 8 children, and uh, we've got to be there for people in their greatest need and we're not there for people in their in time of greatest need. We're not there for them in the middle of the night. We're not there for them at 2 the o'clock in the morning. We're not there for them pre-crisis or during crisis or post-crisis. Uh, it's a myth that we actually are. There are a lot of services doing what they can. They're constrained by the remit. They're constrained by funding. They're constrained by how many hours of the day that they can provide service, And, uh, and they're all... The warriors doing what they can because of their ability. On what the remit of ability is, on what the remit of uh, how many hours in a day that we can actually provide support, the unmet needs outstrip, uh, outstrip catastrophically. So uh, it was actually the overwhelming need that I wanted to inroads in into. I knew that it would be hard to craft funding for this because it's actually seen as a too hard bus seen as multiple layers uh, and uh, all sorts of intersections uh, that require... Uh, a framework that uh, doesn't exist, but uh, we can make it exist and we can all do work within as many of the layers that we can. And every cent uh, is needed it should be provided, but we don't provide that. And uh, it's a myth that uh, our nation actually, no matter how wealthy it is and the treasure trove that it actually does have, which is a little known to most Australians, it's actually an and sad. It's a tragedy that the funding doesn't happen for programs the like of ours and akin to ours. And we've lost 21,000 individuals uh, in the three and a half years across the nation. significant proportion of that in Western Australia, but across the nation. And um, we've not lost anyone. not lost anyone. And I pray that it may continue to be so for as long as we can continue. And uh, we're still fighting uh, on the soil and of an oily You mentioned my health. Uh, I stepped down on uh, April 26th of 2019 from the National Indigenous Critical Response Service, the Commonwealth Suicide Prevention Task Force and uh, to actually set up this volunteer service that I hoped would get funded at some point. But uh, on May the uh, 8th I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I I didn't think it was Parkinson's. Uh, I had years of uh, shakiness and and and, uh, my hand, my right side, my right hand couldn't type as it used to. I thought it was carpal tunnel, but I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I've probably had it for uh, three, four, five more years um, since diagnosis. And uh, and just as I was setting up the service, I was diagnosed with the Parkinson's, because uh, I've actually uh, functioned through that, continued through that journey through the Parkinson's. I live with Parkinson's. I've taken it for what it is. I live with it. Uh, uh, and I uh, anyway,
2: count my blessings. You're, you're an extraordinary man. Do you do you and Megan uh, worry about burnout because you've had this intense pressure now for years and it's 24 hours a day and I guess you have to look after yourselves as well. We
1: have our highs and lows and we have our battles and uh, burnout hasn't taken us out of the equation yet but you know, it's always uh, on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try and keep each other edgy and motivated. It's sad that we come into conflict an awful lot in advocating for um, social reforms, for, for legal reforms. We've changed laws. It's come at a high cost. We've relationships with uh, government ministers, with premiers, with uh, bureaucracies, and uh, we've continued to on. But, you know, if we weren't full on, we wouldn't have changed laws. We've seen, you know, less impoverished individuals jailed for unpaid fines. We Change laws and we are seeing a custody notification service in uh, three states change and they are compelling social reforms, but it's come at a cost. For instance, the cost of the class action uh, has meant that we've been ostracised by the government, persecuted in fact, we're not allowed in the prisons anymore. We've done a lot of restorative work in the prison. In uh, nine months of the largest prison uh, in Western Australia, location one in four of all male prisoners, we reduced suicidality to the lowest on record uh, ever. There were no suicides while we were in there in the nine months, and uh, uh, self-harms were recorded in three in the last quarter of 2020, which was our first quarter. Our last day was June 25, 2021. In those nine months, we recorded the lowest ever self-harms uh, and, uh, and uh, no suicide pathways, and uh, health and security that, uh, that we would have had, uh, pathways to education and that we would have had, and trauma recovery. Also, we went bankrupt for eight weeks during the quarantine period during the pandemic in March of 2020 to May of 2020. lobby so I'll be quick for your brother. Uh, uh, in eight weeks, we had the uh, pandemic quarantine. where all residents of Western Australia were quarantined in their homes, except for essential workers. Uh, and um, that meant that all the in-reach and uh, uh, outreach services and, and some internal services in Bankshire Hill uh, were withdrawn by the service providers or uh, internally by uh, non-essential workers at uh, the lowest staffing levels ever. We were actually brought in uh, on that very first day. We were called up, some by the commissioners, and they said, do you want to start today? You've always wanted to get into this sort of transform. We'll have you in there if you want. So just with your that's all we are to de-escalate. We de-escalated every incident that we came into contact with, every potential incident, by sitting down, spending a load of work through things, and we recorded no incidences where we had the ability to make contact or that came before us that we came across. And that was also with the lowest staffing levels ever. So it's about rapporting and residents and, uh, and, uh, and communication and genuineness and authenticity. But we also worked restoratively. It was a, an eight-week period. We knew we might not get another chance thereafter to come in and work restoratively. And uh, we worked with the young ones. And in terms of we're focusing on, on the girls, 11 to eight, uh, they were age, 11 to 18, or 18 at the time that we went in. We halved the prison population of girls in eight weeks to um, more than half, actually, to seven. And there was a turnover in that time of 31 that we supported. And we supported them post-release uh, We. We uh, were in procurement process for more funding to continue on. But the things we saw on the inside, the apparent behaviours, the uh, lack of... And the things that we didn't see which be on the inside, rudimentary violence, like uh, uh, high-caliber educational activity, uh, uh, recreational activity, trauma recovery, just don't happen. Uh, we needed to put ourselves first and just took um, a triple of funding to do what we could for as many as we could. The majority would still fall by the wayside and uh, I couldn't have that. Uh, we couldn't change the system from the inside. So we launched a class action to shine the light. That class action, well I think the rest is history. Everybody knows what's happened. The Four Corners report took down to the Four Corners. Uh, use of illegal restraint.
2: Yes, that I mean, people aren't aware of what's going on. But uh, that that report from uh, Banksy Hill, where that uh, the juvenile was 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 the way he was uh, hogtied, it was just uh, it was outrageous. And I, it, you're saying that there's there's been an improvement there. Well,
1: that hogtie is an abomination. could and that's why in Queensland, 26- it was actually uh, outlawed because it would cause suffocation by death. And, uh, and we, have, we have had a suffocation by death in Australia What's actually happened is uh, two days after that uh, Four Corners episode, where Four Corners brought it to the fore, there was the first CCD footage from within uh, Banksia to be cured uh, and shown to the nation. And uh, uh, a lot of pressure came on the government and they went to Parliament themselves. They'd be sort of, like, facing as a result of directed, so also, so that parliamentary uh, uh, information.
2: Uh, tapering, uh, that, uh yeah, it should never have happened. Uh, I mean, I don't know how people can do that. We might, uh, we might have a break here. Um, we're speaking today with uh, Jerry jo- uh, Artis, um and he is the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery uh, Coordination Officer. And, uh, Jerry, would you like to pick a song for the program, something perhaps a little bit appropriate? How
1: about from Little Things, Big Things
0: Drive, Paul Kelly? Gather round people I'll tell you a story An eight-year-long story Of power and pride British Lord Bestie And Vincent Lignari Were opposite men On opposite sides Vesti was fat With money and muscle Beef was his business Broad was his door Vincent was lean he spoke very little, he had no bank balance, hard dirt was his floor. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. The you were working for nothing but rations, but once they had gathered, The wealth of the land The daily depression Got tighter and tighter The ringer decided They must make a stand. They picked up their swags and started off walking At what a creep They set themselves down Now it don't sound like much But it sure got tongues talking Back at the homestead Then in the town From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow Investing man said I'll double your wages 18 quid a week You'll have in your hands Vincent says, uh uh, we're not talking about wages. We're sitting right here till we get our land. Vestiman roared, man thundered. It don't stand the chance of a cinder and snow. Vincent said, if we fall, others are rising. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lingayre boarded an airplane, and landed in Sydney, big city of lights. And daily he went round, softly speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. And Vincent sat down with big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out Why your people are hungry. Vincent said, no thanks, we know how to wait From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow
2: And that was uh, From Little Things, Big Things Grow by Paul Kelly as specially chosen for us today by our guest, uh, Jerry Georgiatis Jerry, uh, we were just talking about Banksy Hill, and it seems to get raised periodically. But the cost of detention, as against uh, support programs, is ridiculous, isn't it? Juvenile detention uh, was most
1: arguably costed at most of this century at about $300,000 of detainee per year, but now it's actually at $500,000 per year. Uh, you could buy a house, a young one is disadvantaged and suffering all their life, It doesn't have a home to go back to, it doesn't, you know, they could better use that money. They need to uh, reinvest it in supporting these young ones, not in, in investing in a holding pan, a corral of human misery, a place where they come in uh, from disadvantage and suffering unimaginable as those household Australians, come in trouble, and leave worse than what they came in. In general, that's my experience, they leave worse than what they came in and uh, 70% will go on for adult incarceration, that that tale speaks for itself. The amount of money uh, spent is actually an abomination because it's misspent, it's misspent. There is nothing rehabilitated, nothing transformational, there is nothing in terms of the social return, there is nothing socio-social, there is nothing restorative about Bankshire Hill or any of the 17 juvenile detention facilities, the children's prison, let's call it for what it is, children's prison. restorative about the 17 children's prisons right throughout Australia.
2: Your work extends beyond prisons as well. I just wonder if we could clarify, I mean, people like previous Prime Ministers have said, oh, the removal of of Aboriginal children doesn't still happen, but does it still happen?
1: Our work extends to mostly people living below the poverty line and uh, First Nations, non-First Nations, migrant-born, but mostly people living below the poverty line, which is the uh, most the majority of uh, suicidality, uh, people in crisis. So the lowest quintile of income base is the highest proportion of the suicide toll in this country for uh, all Australians. Is
2: is it still going on? Are children still being removed? Aboriginal children still being removed from their parents?
1: So in reference to First Nations children being removed, look, Australia has a high rate of child removals, uh, period. One in 32 of Australia's children have come into contact with uh, child protection services. One in 32. That's uh, one of the highest contact rates in the world. First Nations children, we know that rates are higher, and that's because of the crushing poverty. That's because 40% of First Nations people still live in below the poverty line, another 20% in proximity. Uh, 80% in the Northern Territory live below the poverty line, and 60%. Uh, in Western Australia. We've got to be helping people, supporting families, strengthening families, not removing because of perceived risk, uh, which is the majority of these uh, cases, and that's an abomination, as opposed to uh, actual risk or actual harm. And uh, even then, you've got to work with people as best you can. Megan Cracker and myself have been on Hundreds of social plans with uh, families, First Nations and non First Nations. The majority of, of, of our central plans will be non in First Nations. We've got an incredible rate of reunification and of uh, preventing children being removed from their families. So, one, the advocacy doesn't happen in the informed ways that uh, it should happen across the board. We've got a higher rate of uh, reunification and prevention of removal of children and the system that's set up uh, actually has itself. And uh, the other thing is that we sit in a safety plan, a case plan, a care plan uh, that is substantive and that there's intense outreach and intense psychosocial support where a foreign poor residents of Nepal. These things are missing in the system. So in, today, there are 23,000 First Nations children uh, removed uh, into the care of the state. So that's 23,000 uh, children. You've got to remember there's only about 400,000 First Nations children uh, in in Australia. So 23,000 out of 400,000 kids is uh, an unbelievable statistic, unbelievable. Uh, It's about 40% of uh, children removed to First Nations and 60% are non-First Nations. The worst thing that we can do is tear a family apart, where in the first instance and in the second instance and in the third instance, and we should be always working to a last port of call, a last resort uh, where we can keep them together, where we will do everything that we can to improve their circumstances, uh, their validation of each other.
2: Uh, Jerry, if you had a, a magic wand and there was one thing that you could do for First Nations people in Australia, what would be the first thing you'd do?
1: From our treasure trove trillions, we are the 12th wealthiest economy on the planet. We have a GDP of uh, more than two trillion dollars. That's never talked about. We always talk about the, the pay packet modality of it, uh, And if all we had was what comes in from the GDP and we didn't have a treasure trove in this country, we could do info from, from pay packet to pay packet in terms of the national economy. So these are the myths that are actually uh, propagated to, to hide the fact that we are actually a wealthy nation. We don't spend the miser when it comes to our impoverished people. What I would actually do for First Nations people with file they are tapping tap into that treasure trove and I try and address the poverty. Because in the end, as I said, 40% of First Nations people live below the poverty line, and 20% in proximity, as opposed to 14% of Australians living below the poverty line, which is horrific in itself, and another 15% in proximity to that. Uh, I try and bring the poverty apparently, because everything uh, that's actually happening in terms of the suicide toll, in terms of the incarceration tolls, uh, in terms of their rates, Uh, the homelessness and and all have to go on. Uh, In terms of uh, those major factors, they correlate the differential between poverty rates of First Nations people to poverty rates of uh, the Australian population. So it's a two and a half times differential. We've got 14 percent of Australians living below the poverty line, 40% and 40% of uh, First Nations people living below the poverty line. It's usually between two and a half times to three times the rate of. uh, Australians or non-First Nations to First Nations. And that's also a, a, a correlation to prison rates and, uh, and, uh, and uh, suicide rates and, and the like. We need to parity uh, the economic wealth of a country. Bring on the equality, the economic equality. And that's the first thing I would do. I would, I would make sure uh, that uh, First Nations communities, remote and regional, are the, region the equivalent of, of non-First Nations, of predominantly non-First Nations communities, to the infrastructure graft, and every uh, opportunity for the First Nations people in our cities and big towns where the majority actually do more than 75%, and that those who get to tertiary education to a university or a TAFE uh, are just as likely to graduate as the highest cohort of graduates in this country who have been longstanding for, for decades, and Migrant born brothers and sisters have come from socioeconomic disadvantage or war trauma, they're just as likely to graduate. Just as likely to graduate. That's more of what we need. But we need to invest the trillions that we don't invest. Instead, we penny pinch and we sell uh, uh, all this propaganda about uh, that we have a cost of living crisis that we can't spend on our poorest. Uh, we've got to, you know, stash away monies that we. Take care of the uh, top end of town, but we do not take care of if we're not going to spend now while well, we're the world's one of the world's economies on the planet, and we've got uh, per capita wealth amongst the highest in the world, and a treasure trove uh, which very few other countries have. Where are we going to spend? Where are we going to spend on social housing, on the homeless, on uh, all marginalised Australians, and, and uh, particularly First Nations marginalised people, particularly those living in crushing poverty? When? When problem?
2: Yeah, look, we've got a lot of work to do, but uh, someone making a really good start, and I, I, I just want us all to support uh, Jerry Jordatis and his colleague Megan Cracker, who are doing this work. Jerry, once again, is the National Coordinator of the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project. Um, I should say, if this program has raised any concerns, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. Of the Suicide Callback Service, 1300 659 467. It just remains for me to give a special thank you to our very special guest today, Jerry George Jerry, thank you very much for coming on Dad's on the Air and, uh, and explaining all this to us, which uh, I'm sure is an eye-opener for a lot of people. Thank you,
1: thank you. I, I look forward to talking with you
2: again. Thank you, Jerry. And, and we'll be, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. If you'd like to comment on this show or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au. And uh, if you'd like to listen to this show or any of our shows, again, go to Dads on the Air and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.